Welcome to Wine For Me podcast, where I chat to anyone that can give you and me insight into the South African wine industry. Please enjoy. Today, I chat to Alex Terry. He is in charge of the vineyards and winemaking at Kiermont Vineyards. He makes award-winning wines here at this beautiful farm owned by Mark Wraith. The farm is situated in a naturally formed amphitheater between the Helderberg and the Stellenbosch mountain ranges. So Alex, how did you end up here at Kiermont? So I grew up in this valley when I was a little boy. I was uh, lived on a farm here, a large fruit farm. We had dairy, we had stone fruit, deciduous fruit, citrus fruit, uh, and obviously lots of vineyards. Okay. And my dad used to manage the farm, and he used to deliver the grapes to to Dezalza, which was a co-op in those days. Uh, Marius Latachan and Marinus Bradel were two of the winemakers that he used to deliver oh, the okay. grapes to. Oh, okay. I know Marius. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he also used to drop the grapes off at, at Friesenhof. Okay. Um, and we knew Jan Bollant very well. So that was sort of my introduction into wine, and something must have, you know, twigged in my mind to study it. I always wanted to be out on a farm. That was really important okay. to me. And uh, ended up uh, studying at Stellenbosch and then traveling a bit abroad. And when I came back from doing some vintages uh, overseas, I worked in uh, a couple of different wine regions. I, I wanted to come and work at De Trafford, who's oh, okay. our neighbor up here, Dave Next Trafford. Door. I really, mm. having worked a couple of vintages, mm. I figured out that I wanted to be involved with boutique winemaking, mm. very, very small scale and very focused on quality and, and terroir more than anything else. And mm. Dave is exactly that. So okay. I came back and worked for De Trafford. And um, I wanted to buy some grapes from Kiermont to make my own wine. Okay. Uh, there was an old block of Merla up on the mountainside and I approached Mark, who is the owner of Kiermont, and uh, asked him about these grapes and we got chatting about the farm and uh, he had just bought it and and was looking at planting more vineyards okay and we got chatting about that and uh, i went back overseas i went backpacking in southeast asia with my girlfriend uh, we were going on a big trip over there and i left a cv for mark and i said okay. when if he if he ever looks for a viticulturalist or somebody to help him with the project i'd really love to be involved because i loved this farm i used to come and yes. mountain bike up here and while i was overseas he wrote to me an email and said yeah when you get back come and see me and let's have a chat fantastic and that was so, yeah. 2004 and uh so when i got back i started working in january of 2005 yeah okay that's wonderful so you were talking about you like this boutique winery, the hands-on approach. Tell us a little bit about your philosophy in the winemaking process. Mm. Yeah, it's probably to go back to very simple winemaking, very traditional winemaking. Mm -hmm. I studied a Bachelor of Science and loaded my head up with all sorts of uh, technical information, which I promptly forgot straight okay. after university. No, I like, I like the approach which is really, really basic, not manipulating the wine in any okay. way and really reflecting terroir. I, I, you know, obviously in the industry, there's room for mm. all different types of winemaking and certain products mm. and, and customers and targets which require something a little bit different. Yeah. But I like wines and winemaking, which is yeah. taking a very unique site and really trying to 
capture the character of the grapes and, and put that into a bottle. And would you say it's easier when you work with a much smaller, like a boutique winery, to be able to do that? Or I think so, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're really going for, for pinpoint accuracy on your wine, on your, okay. on your grapes and on picking and getting everything 100% correct. And you're wanting your product not necessarily to taste the same every year. Yes. Um, you know, where, where, where you have larger products and you can source grapes from all over the place. Yes. The, the flavor of the wine just has to stay relatively constant. Yeah. Where here we're really trying to capture the vintage and capture okay. the, you know, the character of, of each specific vineyard. And, okay, and, and that's where yes. I want to come uh, to you with this. You have single vineyards, you're looking at certain blocks. So yes. tell us a little bit more about the yeah. wines that you offer. Yeah. So all of the wines on, on Kiermont are estate wines. We, we we have never bought any grapes from anywhere else okay. and we created initially the Kiermont wines which is a, a white blend called Sarasa. Mm -hmm. um, then we we started off well actually our very first wine was a big red blend uh, which was just called Kiermont. We just had okay. Kiermont in the label we did what varieties initially actually we had Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon and Syrah. Okay. Those okay. three together I made two barrels of Cab, two barrels of Merlot and a barrel of Syrah. Okay. And we blended those five barrels together and made the very first Kiermont 2007. Okay. We, you know, what we did was the first three or four vintages, we continued with that. Mm. And then as these new plantings that we were busy with became a little bit more mature, their sort of second or third crop, then we started experimenting with using more of those. And that, mm. that product has now evolved into our estate reserve, which is our, our big flagship red blend. Okay. Um, and then I mentioned the terrassa that we do. Um, and, and sorry, the, yes. the varietals in the terrassa? The terrassa is, is uh, always based on Shannon. So we try to keep the Shannon preferably about 60%. Okay. We have in the current vintage, unfortunately, it was a bit of a tough vintage for the Shannon and the, the percentage dropped a little bit down to 40. But okay. we like to keep it at about 60%. Uh, Shannon Blanc is for me the all-rounder of, mm. of grapes in, in this area. We get a, a really complex and really beautiful wine from Shannon. Uh, some Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc uh, and oh. Viognier. Oh, well, wow. Those are the blending components that we blend into that. Okay. And it really creates a very complex white blend. Yeah. Okay. And then and then some varietals, yeah. Okay, so you have the Syrahs and the... You actually yes. have quite a range Cab of... Cabernet, Merlot. It was not the intention initially. Just to go back a few steps, we initially planted the farm to sell grapes. That was Mark's intention. Okay. It wasn't to make wine. We started, you know, I was employed to plant grapes to sell. Okay. And so we looked at every site on the farm and we decided to plant something different in each place uh, for grapes for sale. Okay. So now we have all these different varieties growing on the property, um, mm. which may look like we lack direction in, in the type of wine that we want to make, but we actually trying to enhance and trying to show people the estate. Yes. Um, and we have all of these grapes here. And if one of them's, you know, say we make um, a wine which isn't going to go really well, which isn't, we, we planted something and the wine doesn't taste, you know, what people like. I actually like all of the wines that we make, but <laughs> if there's something that, that's not going to go well, I believe in the, the, the sort of process of elimination. Okay. Slowly but surely that's going to get worked out of the system. And, okay. and currently our Merlot is going really well for 
whatever reason. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, we're already starting to look at replanting a couple of blocks and thinking, well, maybe we need to plant more murder, you know, which is yeah. a, not where, what I, where I was expecting to go at all. It, it's quite interesting because I um, I just had guests over from the States and they seem to want to drink Merlot. And it, it was such an eye-opener because I also thought it was a dying varietal and it's not. It's actually growing. And I found it with other farms as well. And um, I think people are looking for a structured Merlot these days, and that's uh, few and far between. Consumer is is a yeah. different person. I think. Yeah. I think all of us uh, more sort of wine geeky type people. Yes. We're all fascinated in uh, different techniques and different cultivars yes. and that sort of thing. But but generally, the consumer I think is a little bit wary and a little bit nervous about what they choose to drink. Yeah. And will go with something that they know and you know. Not saying that that's the the direction that winemakers should take, but um, we are trying to create a business here and we're trying to sell wine, you know. Yeah, exactly. So one of our philosophies and one of our principles is that whatever we grow is what we can make. We don't plan at at any stage to buy in any grapes from anybody else. Okay. And therefore, our ceiling is what we can create out of our own vineyards. And therefore, you know, if something is going really well, then either we're going to have to plant more vineyards in order to cater for that, or that's it. It mm. becomes an allocated wine and, you know, people okay. buy on allocation. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about your flagship wine, because I, I know it's not a wine that mm. you make every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. The flagship wine is, is the estate reserve, is the blend. And that is, uh, so far we've made it every year. I'm actually looking at the most recent vintage, 2019 which has been probably one of our toughest vintages yet uh, with, with all the drought and the knock-on effect of several years of drought okay, you know, yeah. on the vineyards. And looking and, and possibly maybe 2019 may be the first vintage where we don't make it. But every year we try to put together a blend which reflects our estate. That's, okay. that's the main idea. You know, okay. what, what all the varieties that we've got planted here, blended in different uh, percentages and, and varying fractions, depending on what we think is going to create the most complex, most complete wine for okay. the vintage. Okay. Um, yeah, so so we do a lot of Bordeaux varieties in that, mm-hmm. but then we always include a little bit of Syrah as well. Okay. It started off being 25% Syrah, and over the years with things like Malbec and Cabernet wow. Franc coming in, we've dropped that percentage down. But now I'm realizing the value of including a bit of syrup, not only mm. from the wine's quality, but also from our story and what who we are. Okay. Yeah. And then you have some really old vineyards here on the farm, mm. um, making Shannon from those. Uh, when yes. were they planted? So the Riverside Shannon Blanc, is a, it's a registered single vineyard now with Sarvis. Uh, I think it's one of the older blocks of, of Shannon in, in Stellenbosch other than Mrs. Kirsten's and a couple of others, but planted okay. in 1971. Okay. Um, portion in 1971 and a portion in 1972. Okay. Um, and it's called Riverside Shannon. It's uh, a very patchy, mixed old vineyard. And uh, we registered it as a single vineyard so that we could, you know, it was it's such a low-yielding block that mm. we, it, it, financially it wasn't going to make sense unless we created a really exclusive product from it. The quality is there, and that's why it survived for so long. You know, it's a really beautiful wine that comes out of that vineyard every year. And now we make the wine and, and include some of it into our terrassa, but then mm. we select certain barrels to, okay. to put aside into the, the riverside chin. And we do about 3,000 bottles of that every year. 
Okay, well, yeah. I was born in 71, so I'm going to have to buy some of those. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, okay, and then the other thing is yes. I read so that you don't even have a pump for pump overs here at mm -hmm. your winemaking process. So tell us about the whole uh, philosophy around yeah. what's happening in the cellar. Yeah, so in the cellar, we've always kept things as basic and traditional as we can. We've never inoculated a tank with yeast. It's all wild yeast fermentation. Okay. We've never acidified anything. We've never used any enzymes. Very little filtering. I don't want to say no filtering. We, we take our samples now of if we're doing a big bottling, we have them analyzed to see if, uh, if there's anything in there that we need to be uh, aware of. So far, we haven't had to filter for anything like Brettanomyces or, or okay. anything like that. Um, but sometimes if the wine isn't like our white wine, we, we've had the problem with sedimentation in okay. the bottle. Yes. And so we, we prefer to filter that, uh, give it a light filtering now just to clarify the wine a little bit. But trying to do as little as possible mm. in, uh, in that regard, low intervention winemaking. Not having a pump is just to do with gravity. When we started making wine originally, we used to use buckets and, you know, literally like bucketing everything out and garden hoses with little funnels and stuff like that to move the wine around. Oh, wow. Okay. So basically when we, when we built the winery, we decided to stick to those same original principles and, and really keep it very basic. So our forklift is very busy. We, we do everything by gravity, so we'll let the wine flow into a tank and then lift it up with a forklift okay. and then let it flow out again. And then moving wine out of barrels, we use a compressed air, okay. a filtered air. Yeah, we've got a little air compressor and we filter the air and then we, we push that in and it creates pressure in inside the barrel okay. and that pushes the wine out. Oh, okay. Yeah, we did it with gas originally, but we found that the compressed air was just as good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Now, you earlier said that you might consider planting on more vineyards, but I know you work with the environment. Yes. Yeah. So, tell us about how you preserve the habitat here on the farm. Kiermont is, a, is the, the whole farm is a total of about 160 hectares, okay. of which we farm 30. Okay. We don't intend to really plant much more. There's a certain section which was an old vineyard which mm. got pulled out and overgrown and we might replant that at okay. some stage in the future, but there's no plan to do that yet. So we've, we've basically got about 100 hectares of mountainside, Feinbos. We're up right up against the, the Helderberg and the Stellenbosch mountain, beautiful, uh, pristine Feinbos. And uh, we, we see that very much as an asset up here. Okay. So we, we send teams through the, the Feinbos every year and they clear out any aliens that are starting to seed up there and, and mm -hmm. to, to preserve that. And then obviously on the on the animal front, even though sometimes the animals can be quite challenging, uh, we do try you know, to be as, as gentle about that sort of thing as possible. So, okay. you know, trying to shoo the little bockies and the bobby on the, the baboons <laughs> out of the vineyard as opposed to uh, shooting them or, or trapping them or anything like that. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, they can be a little bit frustrating and challenging. So far, we haven't had to, to do anything too dramatic on that. Front. Okay. That's yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess you have trails and, and cycling routes up here, mountain biking um, or? Not so much, to be honest. There's the Andornia, um, one of our neighbors. There's uh, really good mountain biking trails. Up here, we're a little bit hermitish and we, mm. we like the privacy. So we, you know, people run and, and ride up the Blaklippen Road um, on the tar road, but we try to keep them on that road. We yeah. haven't created any trails or anything like that. Okay. And uh, we quite like it quiet and, and not too busy. Well, there. you are located in a little bit of an amphitheater, like you yes. say, between Alderberg and, and Stellenbosch Mountains. Yes. 
And it's quite a, a little windy road coming in here. So you have to make a bit of effort to come yes. here. You have to yeah. know about you. It's you off the beaten track Most people sure. find me when they're about halfway here and they, they say, um, we're, we're lost. <laughs> and then I say, okay, well, just carry on. Just keep going, keep going. You know, when you think you're at Kiermont, then uh, yeah, you, you, have to you, keep you basically going. just keep going up yes. the road. And, and we, you know, a lot of people that even live in Stellenbosch, don't realize that this valley exists, exists back yeah, here. yeah. So it is really tucked away and we like it like that. We're not hoping to turn into a massive tourist in no, the, you know, um, you don't want we, do, we don't we want people who are looking for Kiermont to come up here and get an exclusive experience okay. and, and really enjoy the quiet of the place. Yes, yeah. 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 So maybe you can tell the listeners how to get to you. So the easiest, uh, I always say look for Waterford and then, and then carry on. There's life after Waterford. The easiest, the easiest route is to, uh, when leaving Stellenbosch, uh, you have the traffic lights at Paradisecliff at the mm. spa. Mm. Uh, that gets you into Blarklippen Road. And then you continue up Blarklippen Road. And, and just when you reach the, the turnoff to get to Waterford, it's about three kilometers up the road from from that um, spa or five mm. kilometers, I can't mm. even, I'm not even sure. I haven't run for that. Luckily, there's signs. I follow yeah, the signs. Yeah, follow the signs until you get to, to mm. you know, basically to Waterford. That's much better signposted than us. It's a, obviously a very popular destination. Um, and then from there, you carry on for another two kilometers straight up into the valley. Mm. A mm. little winding road, as you said. Yeah. And, and basically, when you reach the end of that road, you'll be in Dave Trafford's garage. And then you've gone too far. But <laughs> then you must uh, just before that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe I can add, um, when you pass the, the farmhouse, the farm residence, you have to keep going because there's signs there that says uh, private residence, yes. Caremont. Yeah. And then you're yeah. still not at the winery. So you have to keep, keep going, going there. Yeah. It'll be worth it when you get here. Yeah, and then your tasting room, it's not open every day, right? No, no we actually that's changed a lot in the last year. It's not our aim to sell too much of the wine through the cellar door. We, won't, we don't want every tourist bus rocking up here. We want customers who are looking for our products to come and visit us. Mm. So we always used to be by appointment, and then we got a lot of annoyed people who used to drive up here on a Saturday morning, say, looking for our wines and coming knocking on the door, and it would normally be open because Mark would be working in the garden and people would wander around and there'd be nobody around because we, okay. uh, we, we're quite quiet up here. But we've started opening now on Saturday mornings from 10.30 till 1.30 okay. for walk-ins and we do the same on Fridays. Okay. So 10.30 till 1.30 people can just walk in the door and come and sit down and have okay. a wine tasting. There will be somebody to host you at that stage. Okay. And then during the week from Monday to Monday to Thursday, we, we take appointments. Okay. And so, then um, yes. maybe you should just give your web address so that people can contact sure. you. www.kiermont.co.za. There, there will be a, an email address on that that you can just tap on. And, uh, that will be info at kiermont.co.za. Okay. Very, yeah. very easy. Yeah. Now, I'm almost ready to go taste your wines, but I just want to fill the listeners in a little bit to, to definitely go to the website because there you'll see all the accolades that they have uh, managed to achieve over the years. And uh, you will see that these are highly, highly acclaimed wines, great wines, definitely, definitely worth to try out and buy and come taste, make an appointment. You will meet Alex and, and Mark when you come here on appointments and they will treat you really, really well. 
I had a wonderful time. I'm so glad you made time for me today. I, I don't know if there's anything else you want to tell the listeners. You're very welcome to, but thanks for enlightening us in Kiermont Opinions. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, really, really lovely that you're doing these podcasts and we, we've got no secrets here. People are welcome to come and see what we're doing. We, we like the quiet life. We like to welcome people here and I, I like to think if people come to visit us, they get uh, personal attention and, uh, you know, they, they get to see what we're doing. It's all mm. here. It's the winery. When you come for a wine tasting, you, you can literally walk through the winery and see everything that we're doing. Okay. Um, small hands-on traditional winemaking and hopefully making honest wines which uh, which reflect this beautiful place excellent yeah. i'm going to add one more thing i see you have accommodation on the farm as well so that's something else that people could find on the on the website it would be a lovely quiet mm. area to come stay if you're visiting in the area so yeah you can actually stay inside the winery which is quite a unique um yeah. situation you can rent a, a flatlet in the winery which is on airbnb and then we also have a really wonderful, big, a little bit more luxurious manor house, okay. uh, which you can rent if you're a slightly bigger group. That's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much, Alex. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day and I hope your next vintages are just getting better and better. Thanks a lot. This episode was recorded and produced by me, Amanda Fisser. I hope you enjoyed it.